What is up, friends? Welcome back to the Fit to Live podcast. I'm your host, Sydney Tollett, and you are listening to another episode. So this is episode 17, which is actually kind of crazy that we're already on episode 17. Um, You will hear today, there is construction outside of my house as there has been every day for like literally the past couple of weeks. So I really don't know how to get around that with recording. Um, I can hear it right now. It's like really loud drilling. Hopefully it, you guys can't, but if so, I do apologize, but I wanted to get an episode out and they never stopped. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we can just have some background noise. So anyways, um, welcome to this episode. Today is going to be another Q&A. These have been getting a really, really good response. They actually get like double the listens of all of my other episodes. And I've had a lot of you guys reach out on Instagram DMs and just say that you really like these episodes. So I'm going to keep doing them. I might just try to do a Q&A either every other week, or if I do have any time free up, I may try to do like a Q&A once a week and then like another episode, at least most weeks of something else, whether it's a guest or diving deep into a specific topic or whatever it is. If you guys ever have suggestions, feel free to send them. Um, If you ever have specific questions that you want answered for the podcast, um, feel free to DM me a question and just like let me know like, hey, I think this would be a good question to cover on the podcast and I can screenshot it. I'll just like put it into an album in my phone. Um, But yeah, anyways, I may also do like some Instagram stories just to just to kind of put out there like, hey, I'm doing a podcast episode if you guys want to ask me things. Uh, But that is what we're doing today. So we have three good questions today. And before we get into it, though, if you guys enjoy the podcast, please, please, please share the show. It helps so much. Like, even if you just literally tell a friend about it, that's awesome. But if you are active on Instagram and you want to just like screenshot, um, you know, be like, this is what I'm listening to right now. It helps so much as well as leaving reviews. Just tap the little five stars. It takes like two seconds. And then if you want to give me an extra like 30 seconds of your time and type it, that is even more amazing. But regardless, I super appreciate the support and I hope that you guys get value out of this. Um, If you did not listen to the last episode, me and my friend Emily did an awesome podcast podcast episode just kind of on our journeys. We both um, had eating disorders in high school. We grew up as like best friends. We both had fitness Instagrams. It was a really good conversation just kind of like about our mentality and with food and exercise and how it's changed as well as some things with like mental health and social media. So go check that out if you haven't listened to it. Um, But yeah, so one last thing before we get into the three questions. Um, If you do want to support your girl, with any of my codes and links, I will put them in the show notes. So two of the main ones um, that I work with or main companies that I work with is Cured Nutrition and First Form. Um, So with Cured Nutrition, I do just have a discount code for them. It's just Sydney. My top two recommendations for Cured are the Rise Supplement, which is for focus and clarity. And actually the other day I took three capsules of the Rise and then drank a little bit of coffee for my pre-workout such a good workout because like I had the energy from the coffee and then the focus from the rise. It was amazing. 
And then the CBN is going to just be for relaxation and helping with sleep. Um, and then First Form, I use a lot of their products, but some of the main ones that I like to recommend are going to be like the basics. So like grabbing a fish oil, greens powder, um, vitamin D is something I use in some clients. They have a great way isolate protein and a vegan protein and they don't have codes, but I do have a free shipping link for them, which does save you a good amount. So Anyways, that kind of clears up what I wanted to start with to intro, and now we will go ahead and get into these questions. So I think this is going to be a little bit quicker of an episode, but I just picked three questions because knowing myself, I will talk for a while on each, and so I didn't want um, I didn't want it to go too, too long. So first question is do I just track alcohol as calories? So this is actually a question I got from a client the other day. So I put it in the podcast because I think that this is a super common misconception because if you, for example, type into my fitness pal, I don't know, White Claw, it will track the calories for it, but it's only going to take off what like the three grams of carbs or something that it says that a White Claw is on the label. Um, It's going to take calories away from your day, but it's not going to take any like carbs or fats additional to make up for the alcohol calories. So let me kind of explain that. Let me go more in depth here. So when we look at alcohol, alcohol is seven calories per gram, Um, but it is non-nutritive. So it's not considered a macronutrient like carbs, protein, fat, which which also, you know, our body needs and they provide nutrition to our bodies. Alcohol does provide energy via calories to the body that we need to account for, but it's non-nutritive. So, whenever we look at, for example, a White Claw, yes, it has three grams of carbs or four or something like that, but it also has alcohol which is seven calories per gram. And so if you are, you know, trying to stay within a certain energy balance, we have to account for the energy that comes from the alcohol as well. And since it's non-nutritive, we have to pull from our macros if we're going to like track it. So that's where people get confused. Um, But alcohol still has calories that we need to account for. So when we look at the different macronutrients, carbs and protein, for example, have four calories per gram. So for every gram of carbs, every gram of protein, we're getting four calories. Fats for every gram have nine calories. So alcohol is seven. Um, But like I said, what confuses people is that a lot of alcohol, it's going to have like, for example, if you do type that in my fitness pal it'll track it and pull away from your calories but it's not going to like take away from the carbs because it's not actually a carb <laughs> the calories are from alcohol but we have to account for that with our macros if that makes sense um so I'm just going to keep using the white claws example um for this question just because I already started with that but like Okay, let's take that White Claw and the label shows, I think it says like three carbs or something. Maybe it's four. I don't remember, but let's just say that the label shows like three carbs. Well, it also though says that the drink is a hundred calories. So if it was, if that entire drink was actually only three carbs and like that was it calorie wise, that would only be a 12 calorie drink. But because there's also alcohol in it, that's why it's a hundred calories. 
but let's say we're tracking macros, we have to account for that full 100 calories with our macros because if we don't, what happens is, let's say that you type it in, it takes away the 100 calories, but then let's say that you still eat all of your macros for that day. Well, then you've had all your macros plus an additional 100 calories. So that's why we have to take out of our macros for the alcohol. So even though, yeah, my fitness pal will take away 100 of your calories, if you still hit your macros for the day, you're going to hit your macros plus 100 calories. Um, so that is why we have to account for those alcohol calories as well, because they do still count. So what I have people do, it's so much easier than rather than trying to figure out like, okay, so there's actually four carbs in here plus this amount of alcohol in here. Just take the calories for the entire drink and we're going to use macros for it. So I never recommend like typing in like white claw or anything. Um, what I recommend, because like I said, it's not going to... Sh- it's not going to do that for you. It's just going to show like the calories. It's not going to be like, oh, okay, this person wants to wants me to account for 25 grams of carbs for that drink. It's not going to do that. Um, it's going to show what the label says. And so what's easier to do and more accurate to do is take the entire drink. So how many calories was the drink? And then we're going to do the math to figure out how many macros we're going to use for that. Now, as far as how to actually input that into MyFitnessPal, you can kind of go about that two ways. If you have premium, I would just do quick add. So what you can do is you can click on the three little dots. You can click quick add and you can put in however many macros that you're using for that drink. Um, If you do not have premium, what you'll want to do is you will want to just basically, you know how it says like um, nutrients remaining at the top. What you'll want to do is you'll want to leave however many you're trying to leave for that drink. So if I was trying to track 25 carbs for a white claw, which I'll get into how I got to that, I would just basically leave 25 for my day. Um, So that's that's kind of a workaround if you have the free version. So let's get into how we're going to do this. So what we're going to do is you're going to take the calories for the drink. So for a white claw, it's 100 calories. So we can either use carbs, fats, or a mix for this. So let's say we're doing carbs. Carbs are four calories per gram. And by the way, guys, we are ignoring the fact that the white claw says it has three carbs. Now we're just taking the calories of the drink because that's what we want to account for. So We're going to take that 100 and let's say we're using carbs. We're going to divide by four because it's four calories per gram for carbs. And that's going to be 25 grams of carbs that we're taking for that white claw. Now, let's say we wanted to use fats. That's going to be divided by nine as fats are nine calories per gram. So that'll be about 11 grams of fat. Now, what you could also do is you could go 50-50. So let's say we take 50 calories of it from carbs. So that'll be about 12 to 13 carbs. And if we take 50 calories of it from fats, it'll be about five to six fats. So you could track like 13 carb, five fat for that one drink if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to kind of split it as well. So that is how we go about doing that. Now you don't want to pull any from protein. I don't recommend that. Um, You want to be getting your protein goal each day so that we're really supporting that lean tissue. We don't have a very good storage mechanism for protein. So it's something that our body really needs to be coming in to support that lean tissue. So I never recommend pulling from protein. I also don't recommend because we do have to realize we are kind of, we're replacing our macros with this calorie source that is non-nutritive. So we're taking from our carbs that are giving our body nutrition and our um, 
and our fats that are giving our body different, you know, nutrient properties, but we're replacing it with something that's totally empty. Uh, so with that being said, while yes, we can track in alcohol and I'm, I do it sometimes, um, if I have like a drink or two, we don't want to be getting to the point where we're doing this on a super, super regular basis or using too many of our macros. You know, if you're wanting to go binge drink all the time and track in tons of drinks, you know, you may really just have to look at your priorities because if you're doing that and you're taking all this nutrition away from your body, I mean, you, there's really, it's kind of hard to, to give advice for that because that's not good to do, to take away from all of, you know, your nutrients all the time and in excess amounts. So in that case, I would just be like, you know, if you're wanting to have six drinks, you're probably just going to go over your calories that day because I don't want you to starve yourself. But if having six drinks is a regular occurrence, then are your goals really your goals and what are we really prioritizing? I'm not saying that we're not all every now and then going to have a six drink kind of night, but if that's every weekend thing, you're trying to track it in, you're taking all the, you know, you're starving yourself all day. That's not the way to go. And then if you do just go over on calories all the time, then obviously you're not going to reach your goals. So sometimes it is just like a priorities thing. It's like, can we just like learn how to have a good time with one to two drinks or whatever it is. Um, and I also don't personally or have my clients always track their alcohol. Like, you know, sometimes I may use it in a free meal, but even then I realize that it's calories. So just cause it's not being tracked doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, okay, then I can have 10 tonight, you know? Um, so I know that wasn't really part of the question. I just kind of wanted to give some context surrounding tracking alcohol, just cause I think it's important for people to think about that. But when you track it, which I think is perfectly fine sometimes. And I think that that is actually really good and allows for some balance. Um, you know, if you're tracking just a couple of drinks, one to two drinks, maybe you go get Another example, um, a drink I commonly get is like a tequila soda. It's like 160 calories. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect because I'm not going to like have them weigh it out, but guesstimate around 160 calories. So, like say I divide that by four using like 40 carbs for that. Um, so, I personally, whenever, I, let's say if I'm going to get a drink with somebody, I try to pick things that are a little bit better bang for my buck. Um, so, I would personally rather get something like a tequila soda um, that's a little higher percentage alcohol wise if I'm going to use my calories on it than like just like a white claw. Um, but not to say that I never do the other um, and that's not really part of the question. But again, you guys know I always just give so much context with everything. So that is how you track alcohol. You do not just track it as the calories or else then what will happen if you hit your macros is you will basically go over on calories for the day. So ignore what the actual label on the drink says. Don't type in the drink on my fitness pal either quick at it or leave that um, amount remaining that you're taking away. So that is my that is my long-winded answer for that. Um, but we only have three questions today. That's why I did this. Okay. So question number two is tips. Well, I guess this is this a question? Tips for biasing quads in a workout. So I guess, how do you bias quads in a workout? So when we're looking at biasing muscle groups, there's kind of two parts to this. So part of it could be a little bit of pre-exhaust, but a main thing that we're going for is exercise setup. So that's the main thing that I'm going to touch on here, but 
I did want to start with the fact that you could potentially, if you, if you're like glutes and hamstrings always take over everything that you do, you could start your workout with a little bit of isolation hamstring and glute work before you hit your more like quad biased movements. But the thing that you have to be careful with here is that you know, while yes, it's it would be good that we're fatiguing the glutes and hammies so they don't take over as much, we are still going to get some systemic fatigue built up. And so if we're really trying to um, progressive overload a movement or, or have optimal performance with a movement and we have systemic fatigue built up, we do just have to think about how that's going to impact our performance and how much like load that we can move with good execution on those you know, on those lifts. So like if you burn yourself out too much trying to do isolation stuff to kind of fatigue your glutes and hamstrings, but then you've built up so much systemic fatigue that your performance isn't really that great on the movements that you choose to hit your quads either, that's probably not going to be the best. And with with everything, you also have to think, um, you have to think context with everything. So maybe sometimes we do the whole, you know, pre-exhaust and some lifts we don't. Um, you know, maybe it's kind of periodized and sometimes that we're doing that. And then there's also sometimes whenever we're not so that we can move more load since we're not as fatigued. But you could definitely implement a little bit of that. Um, and obviously something like a hamstring curl, like it's not going to cause just a ton of systemic fatigue. It's just something to think about. Um, so, that is kind of caveat number one, but getting into the real tips for biasing quads in a workout outside of uh, potentially pre-fatiguing a little bit other muscles, which again, I wouldn't necessarily use that all the time, but when we look at exercise setup, this is going to be really, really important. So when we think of quads, we're really looking for knee flexion to target the quads. And so one thing I see um, a lot of people make the mistake of is they just think, you know, a squat is a squat a lunge is a lunge, um, split squat is a split squat, and that's really not the case. We can take any of these movements and we can better bias them towards either glutes or quads. So when we're looking at glutes, we're looking at a lot of hip flexion, you know, pushing the hips back, kind of driving driving hips back, pushing into heels. That's more glutes. But when we look at quads, you know, we can take that same, whether it's squat, lunge, whatever, and we can kind of shift it more to that knee flexion. And so we're thinking knee flexion, driving, you know, knee over the toe, really pushing into the toe to target quad. Um, I think it was, I feel like it always used to be a thing, or I know me growing up, I always kind of heard, oh, you know, don't let your, don't let your knee go over your toe in a lunge and things like that. And that's definitely not the case, especially when we're trying to, um, to really bias quads. Now, is there some form that is is poor with a squat and a lunge? Yes, but if we're executing it correctly and we're driving our knee over our toe, it's actually a good thing for targeting the quads. But anyways, so that's one thing that you have to think of. Um, and then also like props is another thing. So, you know, you don't just have to stand on the ground and do a lunge and and or a squat. And I keep using those movements um, because these are a couple of the main ones where you can really target both. Um, but yeah, we can use different little props and things. We can elevate our heels. We can elevate our toes um, to hit and bias different things. So when we're looking at quads, for example, one thing I really like to do is slightly elevate the heels for different movements, whether that's a lunge pattern, a Bulgarian split squat for some people, um, a squat, 
you know, whatever it is, elevating the heel slightly can be helpful. One little note with a squat, if you are going to elevate your heels a little bit for that, um, I would use two little plates rather than one because sometimes what happens, I see people do is they'll use one plate and so they'll have to, um, narrow their stance more than is optimal for them. So I, I prefer like two little plates, um, just so that you can have a normal, normal stance as well while you're doing it. But by elevating the heel slightly in something like a lunge or a split squat or a squat, we're able to really, really push that knee flexion and we're able to get a better angle of the knee over the toe and really drive into that toe. Um, So that's one thing to think of. And I thought what would be helpful for kind of finishing off this question is giving giving some of my favorite movements for targeting the quads um, because I think a lot of people are just stuck with their same movements that they've always done Um, and maybe you know maybe your body (laughs) has really just like learned to be super efficient with having your glutes hamstrings take over and you've never really tried to alter the movement to bias quads a little bit more Um, so I figured I would just like give some of my favorites so um, obviously the leg extension that is a go-to for quads um, just because it is an isolation movement. Your glutes and hamstrings are not going to be taking over in a leg extension. Um, So, one little tip that to get um, full, a full like range of motion here with a leg extension or get that full quad as much as, as we can in that movement, what I really like to think about is as you're bringing the pad up, so as you're kind of bringing your feet up towards you in a leg extension, is think about pointing the toes out, so up and out, like really, really contracting that whole muscle. Um, Another thing when it comes to the leg extension is you want to be sure that you're not using momentum. So you want to be sure that you're really, really using those quads to bring it up. But yeah, that's that's one little cue that helps me a lot um, is to think about really, really pushing toes up and out um, at the top of that. But leg extension, that's a great movement. Hack squat, one of my definitely favorites for targeting the quads. Now, depending on your height, your your limb length, things like that, the machine that you're on will depend on how high or low or narrow versus wide your stance is. Um, typically, I like kind of a new, almost a shoulder width stance for the most part on a hack squat, but um. As far as like how high up on the platform your feet are, that does kind of depend. Um, But what we're looking for with that hack squat is just like I mentioned, you know, in a squat or a lunge, we're looking for that knee flexion and really pushing that knee over the toe. So whatever height your feet need to be on the platform to get that, that's what we're looking for. But hack squat is one of my favorites, really focusing on driving that knee over the toe, pushing into the toe to really, really target the quads. I love hack squats for that. Um, very love-hate relationship with hack squats, but they are a great movement to build the quads. Okay, heel elevated squats. Um, I mentioned those, so that allows for more knee flexion. We're really pushing pushing the knee over the toe. Um, front squats, I front squats are going to be good for getting more knee flexion than like a back squat would be. Um, I will say, though, with a front squat, I find for a lot of people that their execution is just such a hard movement to have good execution with, but if you can get that execution down and you can progressive overload it, by all means, go for it. I just find for a lot of people, 
it's just a really hard movement. It's not to say don't try to get good at it, but sometimes for people it's just not as advantageous and I would rather just um, find something else that I can overload in a more safe manner for them, but that is definitely something that could be good for targeting quads if you have if you have the execution down. And when I say heel elevated squat, you know, realize there's a lot of variations with this too. Maybe that's barbell, it could be dumbbell, it could be a goblet, like there's a lot of different variations of that as well. Um, Bulgarian split squats. So this is a good one. And, you know, you can either look at, you could look at Bulgarians as really just focusing more on that knee drive forward over the toe versus if we're targeting more glutes, thinking more, pushing the, pushing the knee back and down, driving more, more into that heel. But if we're again with the quad, we're thinking more driving that, that knee over the toe. Sometimes with people, I may have them slightly elevate a heel to help really focus on driving that knee. One other kind of thing that could help if you, if you struggle with that is really giving yourself the mental cue of like, Hey, I'm going to push my knee to this point that can kind of help you keep, keep your mind on pushing the knee forward. Um, Another one is going to just be any kind of any kind of split squat. So whether that's Bulgarian or like a stationary split squat, whatever it is, um, if we have our heel slightly elevated, pushing into the toe, that can definitely be helpful. Um, a stationary lunge forward um, off of a plate can be a good one if you're really. This is all, again, it's all about the placement and the execution. So if we're doing that stationary lunge forward off of a plate, what we're really looking to do is we're looking to drive the knee over the toe and then really, really push up with the quad hard with the quad, um, pushing that weight into the toe and making sure that we are really driving up using the quad. So that can be a good one. Um, a leg press with feet lower so that we're getting more knee flexion can be a good one. And then, um, say you're at home, a modified sissy squat can, can be a good one. Um, I actually don't love the sissy squats that are like on the machine sissy squat or like on a Smith machine. I don't love those because you're, you're still driving back into your hips pretty deep with that and doesn't allow for very good knee flexion. So I prefer, so basically, I don't, I don't know how to explain this over a podcast, but basically you stand and and like you hold something and you're kind of up on your toes and you're kind (laughs) of, pushing your knees down and squatting down. You're pushing your knees over your toe, basically. If you look it up online, I'm sure you'll find it. But those are some of my favorites. So that's my main tips for biasing quads in a workout. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, If you guys have questions on that, you want to DM me, feel free. But I think I explained that pretty well. Okay, last question for this episode. Why does the scale drop in a reverse diet for some people? So I'm going to try to simplify this as much as I can, but one thing that I I think people need to understand is that energy in influences your energy out. So how much you eat influences your expenditure. If you eat more, your body senses that there is more energy available and it is going to, number one, it's going to be less stingy with that energy and typically we see people just have you know, I mean, they have more energy, so they're going to move more. Um, that maybe, maybe they'll be more prone to go on walks and even little stuff that you don't think of. So facial expression, facial expressions, um, hand movement, even like blinking, like it's, it's actually crazy. Our body's adaptations and some people, um, you know, we have to look at also sometimes with like excess calories, some people burn more off as heat than others. Um, that's, 
that's definitely dependent on the person as far as like how much, but regardless, your energy in does influence your energy out. So if we are reverse dieting and we're giving somebody more food, their expenditure is also slowly going to increase. Um, so, you know, similar to um, metabolic adaptation in dieting, we see adaptation in the reverse as well. Um, so if we see somebody though, let's say that they we start reverse dieting them and they continue to drop weight or they start dropping weight, whatever it is, what we're seeing is that their adaptations are beating our calorie increases. So their expenditure is increasing even more than we would, you know, expect necessarily to the increase in calories. Um, so obviously, if we increase calories, we're going to burn more to digest that food and um, and and things like that. But the adaptation piece, sometimes what we see is, okay, we increase food. And so that person has that adaptation for also an increase in expenditure. And if that adaptation for the expenditure beats that increase in calories, so let's say we add 200 calories and now all of a sudden this, you know, 200 calories a day um, and all of a sudden this person is burning, you know, 300 more calories a day than they were before. Well, now we have seen that that adaptation beat that increase in calories and so that person is in a deficit. Um, so we, we definitely see that happen um, and then therefore, you know, if you're in a deficit, okay, then that's when we see the fat loss. So that's what's happening there. Um, now everybody's adaptation rate is different. It also depends, you know, how many times have you done a reverse diet? A lot of times what I notice too is like people's first reverse diet or more likely to kind of see that happen. Whereas um, reverse diets down the road, potentially not as much or at least like not as drastic. Um, but another reason that we may see the scale drop in a reverse diet is a lot of times if say somebody's been you know, not supporting their training enough with nutrition or they've just been chronically dieting, whatever it is, um, you know, they're holding a lot of stress. And with stress, a lot of times we can see a lot more water retention. Um, and so whenever we give the body more fuel, we're recovering better from training, things like that. We can see a nice drop in water retention as well, which can therefore make the scale go down. So remember, all scale shifts are not body fat shifts. So that's definitely something to think of. Another thing that I just thought of too um, is potentially like if somebody, well, I guess this wouldn't really go into phallus, but one cool thing that happens with reverse dieting a lot of times that I see is that people really like start performing better in the gym just because they actually are fueled for it. But yeah, so those are like the two main things that we're going to see um, is water retention dropping due to lowered stress on the body, whether that be they're finally not in a deficit and their body is like, thank you, or maybe they're recovering better from their training. And then the adaptations um, as far as the expenditure kind of beating the calorie increases. Now, one little caveat here is that this will not happen for everybody. Not everybody drops weight in a reverse diet. And remember too, weight and fat, um, while fat is weight, um, they are not always, like it's not always changes in body fat that is changing the scale. So um, whenever we do see drops in the scale during reverse diet, it could be body fat potentially if this person's maybe staying a little bit of a deficit, but sometimes it really could be, you know, water retention, things like that, which can also make them look better. So still can be like a body composition win. But anyways, um, this won't happen for everybody. And it's also 
you know, it may happen for somebody in one reverse diet, but maybe not, maybe not one down the road. But another, you know, key thing here is losing weight in a reverse diet is not the goal of this phase. Um, the goal of a reverse diet is to upregulate expenditure. So it's to upregulate that metabolic rate, how many calories this person is burning in a day. So, um, you know, there's a lot of other benefits to reverse diets. We can use them for a lot of things. You know, they can be a great time for for really focusing on building muscle, um, for upregulating hormones, for having less food focus, like so many things, increase performance, all of these things. But the main goal when we're talking reverse diets is let's get our expenditure up so that we can eat more food, so that we can feel our training better, so that we can upregulate this these hormone profiles. And so that we can get this person eating an intake to where let's say they want to diet, well, we need to get their intake to a place where we actually have room to create that deficit. We need to get their metabolic rate back up. So that's the goal of a reverse diet is to increase expenditure and get food up. But the goal isn't to lose body fat. If you want or lose weight, whatever, if you want to lose weight, body fat, that is going to be done in a dieting phase, in a calorie deficit. But I think a lot of people, they just cannot put their goals into a long-term picture. If your goal is like your main goal is losing body fat, a reverse diet may be the optimal first step to getting to that goal. So just because your goal is losing body fat and reverse dieting, the goal isn't losing body fat. That doesn't mean that's not what you need to do. It may just mean that you need to stop trying to do everything in eight weeks and you may need to expand that timeline and be like, okay, my goal is fat loss, but what I need to do for that is I need to build up my metabolic rate and my expenditure so that then I can create a deficit at a sustainable intake, at a healthy intake to see that and to actually get a better response from my body. So while yes, people do lose weight in reverse diets, super fun, super cool when it happens, please don't beat yourself up if that does not happen to you and don't get discouraged because that's not the goal of it. You need to focus on the other wins. You need to focus on the reason that you're actually doing it. Um, but yeah, that would be why. So those are the three questions. Oh, I felt like that was good timing for this episode. Hopefully you guys got some value out of that. Um, I'm excited to like bring on more guests and such as well to the podcast and just keep giving you guys all the value that I can. I absolutely love doing these. I personally love listening to podcasts. Um, so hopefully you enjoy listening to mine. I know every episode won't be everyone's cup of tea, but really my goal with this this whole thing is just to provide you guys value and help you out a little bit in your life, on your fitness journey, whatever it is. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you want to share it, leave a review, all that fun stuff. It does mean a lot, but either way, love you guys and I will talk to you in the next episode.